Good morning. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you're desperately trying to get somewhere but you never quite make it? I seem to have them all the time. One of the ones I tend to have is about going on holiday. I'll, uh, I'll get to the airport, ready to go on this holiday of a lifetime, and then I realise I forgot my passport, so I have to go home, and then this is mad rush to get back to the airport, and I've got my passport, and I get through, and just as about the flight's about to be called, it gets delayed. And so the plane will be delayed, or wait in the airport for a bit longer, and then finally we'll make it onto the airplane, and then there'll be a problem with the mechanics of the airplane, and we'll all get moved onto another airplane, and then that airplane will be able to take off, and then obviously there'll be a snowstorm in the middle of August, which means we can't fly, and then finally the snowstorm will clear and just as we we're about to take off I'll wake up <laughs> and I'll never actually get to the place I wanted to get to and then I'm in a bad mood for the rest of the day about a stupid dream that would never even happened. We're near the end of our series of looking through the book of Acts and I think Paul knew this feeling of never quite getting to where he wanted to get to pretty well. We've been reading all about his missionary journeys and most recently we've been seeing him trying to get from the west of Turkey into mainland Europe. He wants to go to Spain but he also firstly wants to go to Rome. There's a church that started in Rome that he's desperate to go and visit. He wants to go and meet the people there and he sees it as a key place where he can minister and spread the gospel and work with the people there. And we know that was God's desire too for Paul to get to Rome. It says in Acts 23 that Jesus appears to Paul and assures him, Paul, you are going to testify to my name in Rome. And we've learned repeatedly through Acts that when God promises something, it will be fulfilled. But we've also learned that sometimes the methods and the timing that God uses don't always look quite how we would choose and actually we've seen in recent weeks this journey that Paul takes firstly to Jerusalem and then onto Rome is far from smooth. Like one of those dreams that just things seem to keep going wrong. That's what seems to happen to Paul. He just has this endless series of events which stop him. Remember he was seized by the Jews in Jerusalem who wanted him dead before being handed over to the Romans uh, and getting caught up basically in the petty selfish pot, uh, politics of the Roman legal system. He was locked up in Caesarea for two years, given inconclusive hearings by a series of rulers before eventually he demanded that he actually go and get a stand trial before Caesar himself, Emperor Nero, in Rome. And last week, Chris spoke to him on Acts 27 and things finally seemed to be moving. He boarded a ship to actually sail to Rome, unfortunately not as a free man, but as a prisoner. Uh, but it looked like he was finally going to get his wish to go to Rome. But as Chris told us, that journey ended in shipwreck and we left at the end of last week with Paul washed up with 275 prisoners from this ship on the shoreline of this strange island. It seemed once again his dream of getting to Rome is in tatters. Well today we're going to get to read the end of that story of Paul finally getting to Rome and it does end in fulfilment and success but maybe not quite how we might have expected it. Let's start to read uh, Acts chapter 28. We're going to read a chunk here at verses 1 to 11. It says this. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. 
And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he's escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they said that he was a god. Now there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island, and he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Acts 28 starts with Paul shipwrecked on this island, the island of Malta. It's a full 1,000 kilometres from his destination that he wants to get to, Rome. But as it turns out, he's lucky because the people in Rome are friend uh, sorry, in Malta, they're friendly and they look after him. But the last thing he needs right now after spending two years in jail and being shipwrecked is to get bitten by a poisonous snake. I mean, you just couldn't make this stuff up. It is the stuff of nightmares. And really, this should be the end for Paul. We see from the reaction of the Maltese Islanders, they just stand there and wait for him to die. It reminds me of a time when I was playing cricket uh, in, in, back in school and one of the lads from our team was batting and the bowler delivered this really awful ball. It didn't go anywhere near where it was supposed to. It didn't hit the pitch. It landed straight on this guy's head. And there was this stunned moment of silence when we all just waited for him to collapse in a heap on the floor because getting hit by a cricket ball on the head is not something you want to do. And we all just kind of stood there like, oh, he's going to go. He's, he's in big trouble here. And he just kind of stood there and went... Ooh, that was so, and they just carried on. We couldn't believe it. And it, it feels a bit like this is what it's like with the islanders. They're kind of waiting for Paul to just to stop and to drop dead and foam at the mouth or something. But he just stands there, flicks the snake off into the fire and carries on as if nothing had happened. Often snakes in the Bible are, are key symbols of evil and temptation, but not so much here. Actually, this is just simply a scared, angry animal who reacts to being disturbed and uses its natural defence mechanism, it bites the thing that's disturbed him. That bite should be curtains for Paul because, you know, there's no cure for a snake bite with venom in Malta. But it actually turns out to be the key to an amazing God adventure on this island for Paul, this place he never even planned to be in the first place. The islanders are astonished by Paul's survival. And they immediately start to think that he's a God. I mean, they're not right in that, but they can see there's something special about Paul. And it opens up this new door for Paul to spread the gospel. We see him start to minister. He heals the, the sick father of the chief official of the island. And then many more come to Paul and are cured. They're healed through his healing ministry, through the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely amazing. He ends up spending three fruitful and incredible months on this island when he should have been dead from a snake bite from being there. And this is something that we see throughout the Bible. This pattern of God taking something that should have been bad and turning it into something good for his glory. Even as far back as Genesis, you think of the famous story of Joseph. Joseph experienced huge injustices all the way through his life. Remember, he was, he was beaten up and sold into slavery by his own brothers. And then even when he was in Egypt starting his new life, he, he rose to prominence, but then he was plotted against and people tried to bring him down. But ultimately, God brought it round 
And he, he got to the point where he was able to, to help his brothers and to forgive them and to stop them from dying from a famine. And he's able to say in Genesis chapter 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It's a theme which carries on all the way through scripture. Look at the stories of Abraham, Moses, Job, David, Elijah, and many, many more. They all face huge adversities. They end up bitten by life, battered and bruised at times. But not one of them fails to see the promises of God and more come into fruition. God seems to do more through them as a result of life having bitten them and their faith withstands the testing and God blesses them for it. And of course, we've seen this theme again through Acts. We've seen the amazing spread of the early church. It began as this small group of believers in Jerusalem, but then quickly spreads out across countries and continents. And this wasn't an easy, happy story. It wasn't a case of these believers saying, hey, this is going really well in Jerusalem. Let's pack our bags and go for a fun adventure holiday, taking the gospel with us. That's not how it happened. No, the gospel spreads because of persecution. The early church was badly bitten and as a result they were forced to leave Jerusalem to scatter far and wide. Jews and Romans did their best to destroy the church but their effect was only to scatter it and watch in horror as it spread like wildfire into new places. Exactly as Jesus had promised in Acts 1 verse 8 when he says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That promise was true. The early church received the Holy Spirit. They were filled with power and they took the gospel to all of those places and more. But the process wasn't easy. The journey wasn't smooth and painless. They were bitten many times on the way. The Bible never promises ease and comfort. In fact, literally hundreds of verses in the Bible assure us that there will be trials, there will be difficulties in life. We will be bitten by life as we undergo the journey that God's taken us on. Just some examples. Psalm 34, 19 says that the righteous person may have many troubles, but the, the, the Lord delivers him from them all. John 16, 33, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, but whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. That's just four quick verses. There's loads more throughout scripture. The message is clear. We suffer on this earth. We'll have difficult times. Life will bite us and bite us hard. But don't give up. God is in control and he can use our suffering and our trouble and our pain to produce maturity and fruitfulness. And he will see his promises fulfilled in our lives, 
even more fully because of the bites that life gives us. I wonder if you've got a testimony of this in your own life. Maybe you want to share it in our YouTube comments right now as, we, as, I, as I'm speaking. You could tell us a story of that. Certainly been the testimony in my life. Um, when I was 17, I felt God call me to Christian leadership. I actually felt very specifically called that I would be in full-time ministry for God at some point in my life. And that is what has happened in, in April 2018. I finally, after 18 years, after that promise that I felt God give me, I became a full-time elder here at Freedom Church. But it was far from plain sailing. It wasn't an easy road. Actually, life took some pretty big chomps out of me on the way. Sometimes it was my own fault. Sometimes my own temptation, my own, my own sin and, and sort of bad habits got in the way, threw me off course and, and stopped me from getting where I should have been going with God and, and would delay me. But other times it was just life taking a bite out of me. There was tragedy on the way. Me and Debbie suffered two miscarriages just at the time we were trying to take a big step for God and move from Liverpool to Leeds. That was hard. It was really, really tough. Other times there's been health problems. I'm suffering from a really dodgy back problem at the moment, which is really affecting me. But back before I went full time as, 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 a, as a leader, as a, as a church worker, I suffered with depression and anxiety and some real difficult mental health challenges. And it threatened to derail me. It threatened to throw me off track at times. It's not been easy. But the bites weren't fatal because God had a plan for me. God had promised something and he was going to see it through to completion. And I could trust in that at all times. God's plans and promises never go unfulfilled. And the bites, not only did they not kill me, but they actually helped me to be better at doing what I'm now doing for God, I think. I'm probably better equipped to understand and help people and pastor people in times of trial because I've been through some trials myself. Somehow God has taken what was difficult, what was hard, what was painful, and has brought fruit from it. I'm sure you've got similar stories from your own lives. It would be great to hear some of them. What was meant to harm me? What was meant to throw me off track? God has used for his good. This snake bite which should have killed Paul ends up bringing great favour and a new mission adventure for three months in Malta. God actually sees far more people turned to him as a result of Paul's healing ministry because this snake bit him. It's amazing what God does. So that's the first thing I want you to take home from today is that life's going to bite us, but God can use it for his glory. The second thing from, from this final chapter of Acts, Acts 28 is actually we, we, we see Paul finally get to Rome. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I haven't got time to read the whole thing, but if we look at verses uh, 11 and then we'll, we'll, we'll just nip to the end of the chapter. It says this, After three months on Malta, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. And from there we set sail and arrived in Regium. And the next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached uh, Puteoli. And there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so, and this is the big line, so we came to Rome. Paul finally gets there. And then if we skip um, to, oh, sorry, then it says this. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. With a soldier. So Paul gets to Rome, but he's under house arrest. And then we skip to the end of the chapter. It says this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
So Acts 28, the last chapter of Acts, it finally ends with Paul where he's always wanted to be in Rome as God promised. But again, he's got there not without life takers and bites out of him. Paul actually lives for two whole years in Rome under house arrest. He gets to live in a home, sure, but he's chained to a Roman guard at all times. That can't have been what Paul hoped for. Normally, wherever he's ministered, he's been able to move around freely and proclaim the word of God wherever he's chosen. But here in Rome, it's a different story. He's in chains for the gospel. And in, in, in the chapter, it talks about what he does under house arrest. He actually, first of all, he invites all the Jews in Rome to come and hear him speak so he can tell his story. And then, having spoken to the Jews and given the gospel to them, he starts to invite the Gentiles in. And from this home in Rome, under arrest, chained to a guard, he still preaches the gospel to all who will listen. And that's what it says, with all boldness and without hindrance, Paul preached the gospel in this situation. Far from being frustrated and dejected, Paul is able to do the work that God gives him effectively. And as well as preaching to those people in Rome, we actually find out that Paul is hugely effective and productive in these two lockdown years in Rome. We actually know that four of the books of our New Testament were written by Paul under house arrest in Rome. He writes letters to the churches in Ephesus, Colossae and Philippi. And he also writes a letter to Philemon. All of them, all these letters, they're part of our New Testament. They've been blessing and encouraging and teaching Christians for centuries now. All while he was chained to a Roman guard. Isn't it amazing what he could do? And in that one of those letters, the letter he writes to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians, Paul sums up this incredible theme of a snake bite being turned into blessing, of life biting, but God doing something with it anyway. He says this in chapter 1, verse 12 of Philippians. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Don't miss what Paul says here. He doesn't say that despite my imprisonment, that he somehow managed to do something for God. He says, because of my chains. It's exactly because this has happened to me that God has done something even more amazing with it. People have seen me in my chains and they've been emboldened. They've seen my courage and it's made them even more courageous with the gospel. God's done more because I've been in chains. Paul's really clear. What he's suffering, the bites he's experiencing, haven't defeated him. And actually that suffering has done good for the kingdom of God. More people are getting to know God than if he hadn't been in chains, he reckons. It's really interesting. I just wonder, I wanted to pick it out this morning because I just wonder, can you imagine being stuck in your home for ages and not being able to move freely? I mean, it's really hard to imagine right now, isn't it? Can you imagine being locked down in your own home, not able to go anywhere? I know it sounds far-fetched, but you know, what a strange time that must have been for Paul, staring at the same walls all the time, stuck with the same people, feeling intently this lack of freedom and restriction. Just can't imagine it, can you? Well, actually, yes, I can, because that's exactly where we've been, isn't it, for the last four months. It seems to be quite timely that we're looking at this, I think. You know, as a church and as Christians, I think we can really empathise with Paul here like never before. We are still unable to gather together in large numbers like we'd like to. We're unable to move with the freedom that we once were. And whilst the restrictions are starting to loosen a bit, thank God, 
we're not as free as we'd like to be. So what can we learn from Paul in that? Well, Paul doesn't let that situation get him down and stop him from what he came to Rome to do. His goal was to be there and preach the gospel. And that's just what he does. He opens up his home. He welcomes all comers, Jews, Gentiles, and he boldly preaches the gospel. That's what we've had to do as a church recently. We're on a mission to Liverpool, just as Paul was on a mission to Rome. Ordinarily, we'd be having our Sunday morning meetings and inviting people to join us and hear the good news at Chilwell Academy. But at the moment, we're locked down, but we haven't shut down. We still have a message to proclaim. We've just moved it online. We've been able to find a new way to proclaim it. And the message is still being heard. In fact, better than that, it's being heard by people who would never have found us in Chilwell Academy, who would never have darkened our door if we were still where we were. Because we're online, they found us and they're hearing the message of the gospel. Maybe you're with us this morning as a direct result of that. Maybe you're tuning in, having recently never met us in the flesh, but you've been listening to us online. And if that's you, welcome. It's great to have you with us. And I hope you're enjoying being part of our online experience. Do you know what? When we're waiting to lock down, God's promises to us as a church to bring the gospel to the city of Liverpool, they didn't fail. They weren't even put on hold. They just started to look a bit different from what we expected and we've just creatively had to adapt and keep going. And it's the same for you as an individual. You know, your call as a Christian to go and minister and bless your workplace, your street, your family, your friends, it's the same as ever. It hasn't stopped in lockdown. Lockdown doesn't stop us. You just need to go about it differently. God is good and his plans are not failing. We're locked down, but we're not out. That's the two things I really wanted to take away from this one. And number one, life's going to bite, but God can do amazing things. And number two, lockdown doesn't mean we're finished. Actually, God can still do incredible things. I want to just encourage us as we finish. We, we've talked a lot this morning about the reality of living life in a world where life bites out of us, where it chomps at us, where, where it tries to knock us off course and where we can be locked down, but we can still see God's promises fulfilled. And I hope this is a message that brings you some, some courage and encouragement and, and hope to you, whether you're a Christian or not this morning. And I wonder whether right now you're feeling bitten, whether you feel like life's been taking some big chomps out of you recently. Maybe you've been experiencing some real pain and struggle. Maybe you've been, been struggling with illness or mental health or relationship breakdown or financial problems or bereavement, whatever it is. Maybe lockdown has just massively taken its toll on you. You're tired and bored and stressed and struggling with it all. I know I've had days like that during this lockdown for sure. It might be that you're just wondering that when everything is so rubbish, how on earth do we hold on to hope? How did Paul have the confidence and hope when all around him was crumbling, when the storm was raging, when the ship was falling to bits, when he's getting bitten by poisonous snakes, when he's desperate to get to Rome and just struggles to get there and then he gets there and he's still locked up? Well, it's an understandable question. But the answer doesn't lie in Paul's own inner strength or confidence. He wasn't some superhero who had special powers of positivity that enabled him to triumph no matter what. Paul was simply a man who had his life changed by Jesus, who'd been given eternal hope and assurance about his future, which meant that whatever he experienced in the present on this earth was put into perspective. For all that Paul suffered, what he went through was nothing compared to what Jesus experienced. 
Jesus, the man who saved Paul. He turned his life around. Jesus, God himself in human form, who experienced everything the world could throw at him, every bite imaginable. He experienced lies, deception, betrayal, pain, torture, and yes, even death, the most painful death possible. But he endured it so that the ultimate example of God turning something bad into something amazingly good could occur. Because from that brutal experience of death of Jesus, God offers salvation and eternal life and hope for anyone who accepts him. Jesus' death and resurrection means that every wrong thing that you or I has ever said, thought or done that is punishable by death and alienation from God has been paid for. His resurrection means that the punishment for our sins, death, is completely defeated. When death bit Jesus, it was fatal. He really did die. But then he really did rise from the dead. We have a miracle working God who offers us a miraculous, glorious future to anyone who just believes and trusts in him. For Paul and for any Christian, knowing that when we die here on earth, we have an eternal future with God, means that whatever we face on earth is a momentary trouble. Something perfect is still to come. And having risen from the dead to prove that, Jesus then gives us his Holy Spirit to live within us and to help us to remember it every single day and to live in the best possible way. It's this truth that helped me when I was going through some of the things I mentioned before. When I was grieving and confused and upset about miscarriages, I was able to cling on to the promises that I have of an eternal future, a future where there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more grief, no more sorrow, and that I'll have everything I can desire in God. When I was struggling with depression and anxiety, the Holy Spirit worked in me to remind me that a time will come when I will have no more sadness, no more worries, and no more fears, and that I have nothing to fear because God has already dealt with my biggest problem. I was headed for death and for hell, but he's dealt with that and he's given me a promise of eternal life with him. Nothing could be more difficult than, than a future of death, but it's dealt with. Being a Christian hasn't stopped the world from biting me, but it has carried me through and helped me to shake that snake off into the fire. If you're not a Christian this morning, there is an incredible offer for you right here, right now, this morning. You can exchange the world's offer of death and disappointment and unfulfillment and dissatisfaction for God's offer of eternal life, of joy, of peace, and of hope. All that is required of you is to simply accept Jesus as your savior, to repent of your sins and receive his forgiveness for you, and to allow his death and his resurrection to transform you from inside out with the Holy Spirit all, along, all the way for you. That's on offer for you this morning. Maybe this is the moment to accept that offer. And if you are a Christian watching this morning, then again, I hope this message just brings you some courage and hope. As I say, we're never promised an easy life when we become Christians. It's just, just not part of the deal. So whatever bites life is taking out of you right now, however locked down and frustrated you may be feeling, 
Just remember that God does have a plan and a promise for you. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Something better is coming. And don't for a moment think that God's not going to come through for you. But I would also encourage you, don't just accept these bites. Maybe seek God right now, this morning, for the removal of some snakes. Let's see some snakes thrown in the fire this morning. If you're you're dealing with ill health, with mental health problems, with difficult financial situations, whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity this morning to get some prayer. Speak to someone, email us, drop us a line. We'd love to pray for you and help you through this time. I believe God wants to get rid of some of the difficulties we're facing this morning. Life is tough. We will be bitten. But God is bigger than it. And there's something much better to come.